0: Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time we are going to jump the gun a bit and discuss the recently announced adaptation of Frozen Hell. Right.
1: Frozen Hell. snowball's chance in hell. Or in this case, a fireball's chance in Frozen Hell.
0: Right. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you might notice that uh, James sounds a little off from the way we sound, and it's because he is joining us remotely for this on account of sabbatical, and um, that's another thing, I think, to talk about right off the bat, is um, with all the sabbatical and everything, I I feel like, you know, James was nice enough to join us for this, and to to provide us with some of his thoughts, and so we might not get as much of him this time (laughs) as normal. (laughs) Right, James?
1: Yeah, I'm in vacation
0: mode. You up for just doing, you know, the amount that you can do? It's a trap! That's the wrong property. So anyhow, we have previously done an episode on The Thing, and it's one of our great regrets that it was one of the audio failures that we had. Because we talked about the story, Who Goes There? We talked about the three movies titled The Thing, one of them with parentheses now, The Thing from Another World. Right. But Colin and I backed Kickstarter a while back because there has been new material discovered, really old material discovered. The original novel that Who Goes There was cut down from. Right. Frozen Mm -hmm. Hell. Yeah. And like I hinted earlier, there has been recently announced that there's going to be an adaptation of Frozen Hell, and it's being fast-tracked as far as we can tell. So it could hit theaters in a couple years. Depending on the recent status of the coronavirus and all. Right. Yes, (laughs) definitely. Um, So we decided to, like I said, jump the gun a little bit here and talk about not what the adaptation is, because I haven't even read it yet. I know you have. You haven't read it? No, of course I haven't read it. (laughs) We're not covering it yet. (laughs) James hasn't read it either. (laughs) Oh, so you haven't read the two introductions either? Nope. Nope. Okay. Okay. So you can talk about some of that stuff if you like. Um, James and I will just sit here quietly, right, James? Right. When it gets to the right point, I will bring up my points. Okay. Sounds good. The fact is here... as I've just confessed. I haven't read the book. James hasn't read the book. Colin has, mm-hmm. and so he has a little more to say about what he wants to see adapted, where James and I are going to talk more in general terms about what we want to see from any readaptation of the thing or the thing from another world. Precisely. Any readaptation of who goes there, right? Of the source material. Right. You know, I know general things that I want to see from remakes usually and from this one in particular mm-hmm. without knowing the details of the book. You can provide that. So, um. oh yeah. Yeah. But so we're just going to kind of toss it around here. That's what she said. <laughs> hey, nice. And we will discuss things that we want to see in the movie. Yeah, that. Or things we don't want to see.
1: Yeah, maybe yes. that. I don't know. Maybe.
0: And I guess, uh, you know, since we're recording this to cover James's absence, I think it makes sense to kind of toss it over him to talk about it.
1: So the story.
2: Hmm.
1: Why don't you take this one, Colin? <laughs>
2: Uh, James, you may remember that you started doing those things because you're really good at being brief and to the point about it. Whereas I tend to go on in
0: detail and detail and detail and detail and detail. Also, we're really not doing that this time. (laughs) Also, we're not doing that this time. (laughs) So James is clearly confused and, um, I feel like you've just already checked out on this, James. Yeah, totally. So no, no story. We're just going to be at least at first talking about, you know, if a new adaptation can work, is it possible? What would it have to do? So, James, uh, do you want to take that one first?
1: Hmm. So, how do I feel about the remake of the thing? Well, I think it could work out if they include a few things. Number one, being practical effects, mm-hmm. or if you're yeah. going to be, if you're going to blend them, they better be damn good blended, <laughs> just like me.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I think we can get behind that. And see what's going to happen here is James is going to steal all my points. And so I'm just going to end up <laughs> reacting to his and then yours because I don't we don't we haven't uh, all read the book.
2: Well, we've seen and we've seen a lot of adaptations. Yes. I think we have a pretty good feeling for what we like and what we don't like and the things that actually work and the things that don't even outside of our opinions.
0: Yes. But I think we can all get behind the notion that practical effects are generally superior to computer effects. Yes. Now these days, I mean the line is blurring, right? Because mm-hmm. the computer effects can be so good but i feel like an over-reliance on cg right can really take you out of a movie i mean because like if you look at like justice league or even wonder woman which was a good movie there's there's a couple of scenes in there where rubber woman <laughs> 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 rubber woman <laughs> where rubber woman what have you been watching like, recently like, it's like wonder neo um, <laughs> wonder woman is like rubber neo you know where where it's just like eh, that's right it eh, doesn't really work and it like in two years it's going to look horrific. Because this I guess this is the thing, right? Computer effects age much more poorly than practical effects do. Right. Yes. In general. I I think, like, if you look back at the thing, most of those practical effects are still spectacular. There's a few of them where they kind of do some Harryhausen kind of effects. Yeah, there's some stop motion for sure. Yeah. And that stuff doesn't age particularly. But you look at Jurassic Park, right? And one of the reasons that it still holds up is because of that blend of computer and practical effects. Yeah. And the other thing,
2: not only does it take
0: us as viewers
2: out of it, mm-hmm. but acting against a green screen is incredibly yes. difficult. You know, Ian McKellen has that famous quote where he said he wanted just to go home and cry every day because mm. he was there was no one to act with, right? You're in a green
0: room imagining everything that you want to do and you're talking to, mm-hmm. it's hard. Well, I mean, so thinking about effects, Colin, I have to just assume that you want to see purple eyed alien, <laughs> multiple eyes. Oh, yeah, the alien. When they get it out of the ice,
2: there's absolutely no reason it can't have purple skin (laughs) with blue tentacles and red eyes. Right. It would
0: be be a nice nod to the original. Right. Well, even before they get it out of the ice, right? Just show it in the block of ice in that form. Presumably, you know, it had been copying something. Uh, No, that could be its native form. Who knows? Yeah, you just never know. That's one of the- The movie could tell us. Does the book tell us? No. Okay. I mean, I guess we shouldn't go spoilers on the book since I haven't read it yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Anything else about effects that we want to talk about? Because I I definitely had that high on my list.
2: I think that I actually, for a while, I misunderstood what this what this remake was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I thought that the announcement said it was supposed to take the best of The Thing from Another World, mm-hmm. the best from Carpenter's Thing, and the best from The Thing prequel. Okay, And so I, I did some research and I read the Wikipedia articles and I listened to our podcast again. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they said was the monster kind of changed character between the thing and the prequel. Oh, right. It was much more aggressive in the prequel than it was in uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which right. seems odd, given that, you know, arms got bit off and other things. Yeah, yeah. And so mm. I, I tried to retcon it and say that maybe the monster knew that it was going to be in trouble, and so it was playing more cagey. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's a bad attempt to modernize
0: it for today's audiences. Mm. Not totally sure I agree. Um I I would say it's easy to justify it and say this thing awoke in that camp, you know, in the prequel camp mm-hmm. and learn something from the experience. That makes sense. And so then by the time it reaches the other one, it's like I got to be a little more cagey here and sneak around a little more. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But maybe not. I don't know what do you think James?
1: I'm going to have to go ahead and agree with Colin on this one.
0: <laughs> I know that James has a has some kind of point. I've I've looked over the notes. He has some kind of point about character development I know he wants to talk about later, right? Yep. Okay. Got it. Moving on? Uh, I would like to see – so, again,
2: I, I was not a big fan of the prequel. Mm-hmm. If, if you go back and listen to our other podcast, you'll go into a huge detail there, but it left things untied. So, the thing about a prequel is it's really constrained. You know how the, the original movie began, and right. so the sequel has to end right the way the same
0: yeah. the next movie begins. So you're writing it from the end backwards. Right. Right. But yeah.
2: there's a character that survives. Presumably. Right. Yeah. Now, maybe she doesn't, mm-hmm. but she's
0: in a snowcat. Presumably it has fuel. She stays alive as long as that fuel remains. Right. Because, yeah. right. But maybe she would try and drive out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who knows? Well, yeah. And with that one, I feel like they were trying to set up a potential sequel. Maybe not. Or oh, where so- she comes by and rescues Childs and Creedy and... Yeah, or something. And, and so I'm okay with that. And... We don't have to rehash everything we went over in the original podcast. No. Because I remember talking about that, about how, well, we don't know that she survives. We just know that she doesn't appear in the 1982 movie. Yeah. And that only takes place over a few days. It, everything only
2: takes place over a few days. Yeah. It's, it's, gotten, it's really high,
0: quickly paced, and it's, yeah. it's fun that way. Yep. Definitely. Uh, maybe we should that James back into the driver's seat. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So anything else, James?
1: I guess another thing, the, uh, the thing is a story of paranoia. Mm. An alien is just an occasion to stage a very human story about fear and scapegoating. So, mm. in the film, if they have that aspect to it, that would be great. Also, too, I could do with the... Uh, mm, so, you should, they should do something novel or unique to set it apart and make it its own movie.
0: Huh. Not sure you're going to get agreement from Colin
2: on that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think he's right. Okay. Uh, both mo- actually, all three movies uh, took some liberties with... Yes time, and monster design, mm-hmm. uh, and character yes. development. And you you could make something very unique, and you could make it a period piece. Yeah. Set it back in 1905. Oh, that would be interesting.
1: That'd be kind of cool.
0: But uniqueness could mean change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uniqueness could also mean change. Yeah. Um, so, James, are you looking for, like – Going back to what I was talking about earlier, is this where the character thing comes in? More clear character character development? I
2: feel like I'm being prompted to say something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you are. We talked about this before, right?
0: Right. Yes.
1: Jimmy? Yep. One thing we talked about in the previous podcast was the lack of character development, with the exception of McCready, the bronze god, and how we thought that was meant to dupe us in the him. So, in the remake... Oh. They get the audience to trust the bronze god only to find out he's ultimately <laughs> alien. That'd be a crazy twist.
2: But but that's the great thing about the 1981 movie. The alien might have won. It could be alien versus
0: alien at the end, and, and you don't know. Go alien. Yeah, that would be insane. <laughs> but I like it. I mean, because right at the end of the original movie, sorry, at the end of uh, the Carpenter movie, you're sitting there wondering, like, are both these guys the thing? And they don't know if the other one's the thing <laughs> or are neither of them. And there's a lot of theories about it, about like, um, you know, child's breath not showing, like he's not actually breathing. Yes.
2: Um, and there's a lighting one where characters that were real had like underlit eyes.
0: Right. Right. Um, there's one about the, the jewelry and that kind of stuff from the prequel movie. And so people read that back because, do um, you remember that? With like the fillings and that kind of stuff. Right. Couldn't duplicate metal. Yeah. Oh, and so right. there was the guy. Who had an ear an earring in the wrong ear at some point because the thing had learned oh. that it needed to restore those kind of things. But I think Childs had an earring as well. Oh, so
2: Kurt Russell said that uh, it should have been very obvious to everybody that Childs was an alien hmm. because he handed him one of the bottles that he had been using to make Molotov cocktails with, and he was going to see if when he drank it if it affected him. <laughs> hmm.
0: Meaning he had put gasoline in them. Yes. Or- <laughs> Because I mean, you can make them all a Molotov cocktail with strong alcohol as well, but- it's, it, Vodka, sure. Yeah. That would be a waste of perfectly good alcohol, wouldn't it, James? <laughs>
1: yep. Totally agree. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I mean, I'm okay with a, with a good twist ending and, and the alien victory ending. I, that wouldn't bother me at all. hmm It, it kind of harkens back to uh, the book. Uh, the Boy,
2: I should have read the original book to make sure I know what I'm talking about. But at right. the end of Frozen Hell, they scare away a seagull. Mm. And they watch it fly away. Mm. And then they break into the the cabin and find out that the guy was working on a levitation device. And he was just putting the final straps on it when Very they break in and kill him. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it leaves you wondering, did did a piece of it get away on the seagull? Right. Or?
0: Right. Huh. Is it like the uh, the teddy bear at the end of Screamers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I feel like picking up on, James brought up, well, I guess we all brought up, right? The, yeah. the, the original movies, the different movies. Um, one thing that I like to see in a remake is nods back to the original. And I've, I've written someplace, I think on LSG Media, it's not there anymore. Um, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a post about what I like to see in remakes and it's nods versus references. And it's kind of difficult to explain what the difference is. Um, I feel like nods are subtler. References are more, more overt. So like an example of a reference is the Damn Dirty Ape slash Human thing from the Apes movies, right? Mm-hmm. You get the Damn Dirty Ape in the in the original movie, Damn Dirty Human in the Burton one, and the Ape one, again, from Draco Malfoy right. in uh, in Rise. And that to me, or like in the, the Terminator movies, All of them have, I'll be back. All of them have, come with me if you want to live, right? right. Right. It's a reference. It gets tired. And whereas a nod is more like in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, kind of sticking with that one. The main orangutan character is Maurice, which is a reference. I mean, it's a nod (laughs) um, to Maurice Evans, who played Dr. Zaius, who was an orangutan. That's the kind of thing I like. Where, Like a nod is the kind of thing that will please a super fan, but- doesn't take anything away from the movie if you don't get it. That makes sense. Hmm. So that's that's kind of what I want to see. And for me in this one, where we have something written and three movies, I kind of want to see nods to everything. So I don't know if you guys agree with that.
1: Nods to pre adaptations are unnecessary. Nods to literary work are required, as I'm sure Colin would agree.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that.
2: I, I to- totally agree about literary nods. Mm. Uh, going stronger than nods i'm I'm okay with as well because really we're talking about a plot that's being informed by the original source and so sure. to me that's good right
0: yeah yeah and i think i would agree that well what were you saying and what did you think colin what do you think linda what do I think? <laughs> <laughs> my name's colin <laughs>
2: no yeah I, I don't have to see a shot for shot remake of it with better special effects better cgi whatever but yeah it'd be nice to have little bits of, of Many things in there. Okay. Uh, although with the original movie from 1951, that's hard because it is. It is the monster is so different. Mm-hmm. It's it's a vegetarian vampire <laughs> where it takes uh, blood plasma and, and needs it to reproduce itself. Right. And it looks like James Arness wearing
0: a an asparagus stock costume. I mean, <laughs> right. Or, or like wearing one of the uh, the leftover butt heads from uh, this island Earth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. That, I mean, on the on the other hand. In terms of, uh, I guess this would be a reference. Or I don't know. Maybe it's a nod. Like one of, the, one of the big jump scare moments, one of the awesome moments in The Thing From Another World is when they open up that door and it's right there. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure that it works in uh, a movie where The Thing is being more covert. Where in The Thing From Another World, it's just a monster movie, right? It's just a. Yes. It's a straight up, you know, face to face fight. Kind of thing. I mean, it's trying to sneak around a little bit, but it's also just trying to, you know, smash and grab. But you
2: could also open a door and have somebody standing right there. So you you open the door and you, you know someone says
0: something to you, so you mm. turn to look away. And when you look back, there's this right person. Yeah, there we go. You you have you have the largest person that'd be kind of cool in, in the cast. Yes. standing right there, looking looking creepy, and you know that can work with the paranoia, Mister Hum. <laughs> Mister Hum. <laughs> yes. Um. So I mean, kind of springboarding off that one thing that i want to talk about is what we want the cast to look like right because in the original story and the original movie and well not the original the original movie actually has uh a more diverse cast because because there's a different makeup of the the people at the station whereas in the 1982 it's it's all a bunch of dudes you know one one black guy right um so i wanted to talk about you know, do we want to have a, a greater ethnic mix? You, having read the book, do you want to see exactly those characters, Bronze God McCready, um, <laughs> all that kind of stuff? Right. I, I don't have to see Bronze
2: God McCready, but I think it still needs a primary main character.
1: Sure. And yeah. I totally think they should include a couple of female characters, because this is the 2020s, man. Bechdel test passed. Right? <laughs> Emily agrees with me. How'd you hit, Emily? Say I agree.
0: Hi, Emily. Emily. Hey, Emily. So, yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree. I think, well, this, it depends, right? If you want to do a version of this where it's set in 1905 or whenever it is, you're probably going to have a a crew of a bunch of white dudes. Right, right. right? Maybe a, you know, kind of a native guide of some kind. Maybe not. It's not in the book, but no. And then there's like, really no natives down there because nobody lives down there. Well, so this is another thing that that I put in my my list. Um, we've been just kind of reacting to James's. But in my list is I don't want it to be set in Anchorage <laughs> like, like the 50s one was. Yeah. Um,
2: no, it should be on the South Pole. Should be on the South Pole. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about great works mm-hmm. is that Years after they are made, people start to try and reverse-analyze them. Hmm. And sometimes they they inject symbolism and meaning that the writer and the director and the editor don't really want. So one of the things that I read about in Wikipedia was that there was a a conscious decision not to put any women in there. Because, Hmm. well, this is the assumption anyway, right? That there were no women in the 1981 movie because it allowed people to talk about the fear of not being a man Hmm. or being afraid of homosexuality, which was a large... Concern back in the eighties, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Not so much today. So yeah, there's this all these assumptions and guesses about well what was meant where. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they just didn't have any women down there.
0: Right. (laughs) At the Antarctic station. Who knows? Yeah. Well yeah, like like I said, in various time periods, the the makeup of the crew needs to make sense in the time. Sure. Like if you're gonna make this a more modern thing, like the 2011 film, mm-hmm. which is clearly not set – well, I guess, no, it is set in the 80s, right? It has to be set at yeah. exactly the same time as The Thing. Right. But there was no particular reason and, – and this is, you know, something you and I can disagree about if we want to <laughs> – um, there's no particular reason in the 80s for it to be an all-male crew that may reflect actually what Antarctic stations were like at the time, but now they pull from all nations and everything. Yeah. So – yeah. To me, I, I think there's no reason that the movie couldn't pass the Bechdel test. In fact, the 2011 one did. I think we discussed that at the time where you actually had two named characters who talked about something other than, other than a man very briefly. Although technically one of them was already the thing as far as I know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so technically it was a man or not a man. Yeah. I
2: don't know. Yeah. Or yeah. definitely
0: not a man. No. But um, could have been male. We don't know. So what happens if you lift up the skirt of a thing? Right. Exactly. Oh, it's, it's... I think the adaptation should answer that question. What does the thing's junk look like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, James stole my, my point. Yes. And, and Emily agreed. <laughs> yes. So do you have anything else to talk about about cast?
2: Mm, nope. Nothing. Uh, nothing more about cast. I, I like
0: to see a well-developed cast, which is something the 1951 movie did very well. It did. Um, well, and it had that, that Howard Hawks um, dialogue that was kind of layered and fe- it felt realistic, right? Where there's two conversations going on in a room. And as a movie viewer, you're like, which one of these am I supposed to be paying attention to? And the answer is both mm. because you get information from both and it's a skilled kind of dialogue that can do that. You, you can do that today as well. No, you can't. You don't?
2: You no. don't think so? If, if James and I were to talk over one another during a podcast,
0: <laughs> you would totally get mad at us. <laughs> James is being very nicely silent. Thank you, James. Meh. I feel like James is checked out at this point. Yeah, are you in vacation mode? There, yeah, totally on sabbatical. So, um, I want to talk about the tone of the film. Okay, kind of going back to what James was talking about—paranoia, right? That's James. Actually, was the only one of us who voted story on this one. Interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and
0: that was because of the paranoia, right? Yep. That's all we're going to get out of James. Just <laughs> he's going to be monosyllabic yeah. from here on out. I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but so you know. Science fiction is the kind of thing that can, I've, I've heard it said before, hold a mirror up to society, right? And say, hey, this we're talking about aliens and interesting outer space stuff, but really we're talking about today's society. Mm-hmm. And 1982, height of the Cold War, you know, the, the paranoia aspect of it worked there with kind of and, – and even in the 50s one – um, I mean, it wasn't a shapeshifter, so they didn't they didn't mine everything they could of that um, during the McCarthy era.
2: Right. The, the 1950s movie was more about the mistrust of science and scientists because yeah. of the nuclear war yeah. or the Cold War, which had just started. Yeah. So uh, although there is something I think that's common to all of them. Yes. Which is, well, we knew we could go get it, but should we? Right. So for you scientists out there, you should go read Frankenstein. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> Colin is endorsing reading Frankenstein, only for that
0: purpose. Oh, okay. not not for any educational or entertainment <sighs> value. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I don't know what that looks like today, right? If it's going to be set, let's say it's going to be set in twenty twenty, sure, or you know, twenty twenty one. By the time it comes out, what does that mean? What kind of mirror does it hold up to society? What's it talking about? Well, you know,
2: the biggest thing happening in the entire world today mm-hmm. is the coronavirus. Sure. COVID-19. I was going to say true and sure, and I said something else. Ah. Uh, as long as you agree, because I'm right, that's fine. Yes. So there's this fear about- If you believe the liberal media. Yeah, if you believe the liberal <laughs> yeah. media. Uh, there's this fear about where is it? Who has it? Mm. Uh, we uh, There's new, literally new data that comes out- Every couple of days, yeah, like uh, the the suspected death rate was just bumped from 4 to 6% today. Right. And the number of cases increase every day. And then we learn that the testing kits aren't right. Right. And, you know, in a way, it's kind of paralleling the thing because mm. they had a test, but the test didn't work really well. Interesting. <laughs> and so they weren't able to <laughs> yeah, tell who yeah. was who. Huh. And then they all were wondering, well, am I it? And if I was it, would I know that I was it? And so I think there are direct parallels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good
0: point, actually. When you when you initially brought it up, I went, eh, I don't know. But um yeah. Because like we were talking before we started recording about there being some anti Chinese rhetoric that you're starting to see and yeah. sentiment.
2: Yeah, people are getting assaulted because they're because they look Asian or come from China or came from China. Yeah. Stupid. Yes. Well, sales of Corona beer have gone down. <laughs> so <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. And on a personal note, they may run out of Diet Coke because the sweetener for Diet Coke is produced in China. <laughs> oh, wow. the factories are offline.
0: Yeah. Um, I think there's some, y- you could bring in, I don't know how you do this gracefully. Mm. Bring in some gender identity kind of stuff. I don't know, because that's, that's been a big topic just the last number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, nature and nurture and, you know, who you are on the inside versus- Who you express as. Yeah, yeah Who who you look like versus what you feel like. Oh, um, and I feel like I feel like there is something that could be done there, but I don't know how to do it gracefully because I'm a you know straight white cis male <laughs> who who has very limited understanding of of these things so um but you know, with the right writers it could it could be something that made me go, huh,
2: it's an uncomfortable subject for sure
0: it is yeah it's it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't understand, you know i'm I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or offend anybody, um and if I do, I hope that somebody will be gracious enough to teach me. Because that's what I would hope to do if it was the other way. Yeah. Uh, other thoughts? So, you know, James and I, again, have not read the book. So, you know, are, are there specific things in the book that you want to talk about without getting
2: too spoilery? There's something very central to this entire topic that I think we should talk about. Okay. I don't think we're going to get any out of James. <laughs> I don't think so either. Nope. Um, I don't think that John W. Campbell Jr. would want Frozen Hell adapted. Why is that? Well, if you read the introductions, what you'll learn is that he tried to get and sell Frozen Hell for years, Mm. years and years and years, and he couldn't figure out why people weren't buying it. Mm -hmm. So he went back and he reworked the story and he started after the alien had already arrived Mm. and carried the story forward from there. Mm. And that transformed it from something that was unsellable to being published and then published as a novel and then mm-hmm. adapted as movies over the next preceding yeah. 80 years. And I don't know if adding that extra material back in is going to appeal to anybody except for canonical geeks like me. Right. I you know we're like I, I would I love watching the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings movies right. and The Hobbit mm-hmm. and Harry Potter and really anything I can get my hands on that's ex- I I like I when I like it I want more of it. Mm-hmm. What I like doesn't always appeal to a lot of audiences. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I want to see more of Jurassic Park. Mm. And you and James have argued, I think pretty fairly incorrectly, that uh, it would hurt the pacing and it would mm. it would tone
0: it down, just slow it down. And that wouldn't be good. Right. Well, book pacing is different than movie pacing. Right? Yes. But you're even talking about the book paced the way it was, wasn't sellable at the time. Yeah. And And this is a question I had when originally we started reading about the Kickstarter, because I was like, is this really the true story? I mean, because if it wasn't published, then do we know this is what John W. Campbell wanted? Mm-hmm. Now, there's lots of times that um, an example is like uh, "Go Set a Watchman," the Harper Lee thing, right? Which okay. was a step on the journey to "To Kill a Mockingbird." It's not a companion story. It's it's actually you know it was one of the one step in the evolutionary tree that eventually became "To Kill a Mockingbird." Okay. Um, and people, it was marketed as as if it was a companion piece to it, and it is not. And so that's kind of what I what I think of here. Now, Harper Lee didn't ever try and get *Ghost* at *Watchmen* published. At least I don't think she did. She may have, but she eventually transformed it into this beloved novel. Right. Yeah. So what what the what the story adds is the introduction of how
2: they go out and how they find the UFO and how they destroy it by accident, hmm. and the whole process
0: of bringing it back. And I think that's five chapters. Okay. Five chapters of lead-in to the story that we already know. Right. Hmm.
2: Now, there's some cool kind of character development happens. You get to talk to people. You get more history of what's going on down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing a, a magnetic survey of the South Pole, which is why they're there. And they find this anomaly, and so they go over to research it. And hmm. the anomaly turns out to be magnetic. Hmm. Monopoles?
0: Yeah. <laughs> they're searching for uh, string theory. Yeah.
2: And then there's some discussion about whether, why it froze so badly there. Because it you know, it's, it had been there mili- a million years millions of years, and had never, ever thawed. Okay. Whereas other parts of Antarctica had thawed up and down, and mm. so they had to explain why this part was special. Oh, and okay.
0: And once it thawed, then it sent out a message to a monolith out to Saturn? I think you're getting mixed metaphors again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. some of that goes back to what James was talking about earlier, about, about more character development, because we kind of only, in the original story, only learn about McCready, And since I haven't read the book, would you say that some of the other characters are better developed in Frozen Hell?
2: A little. I mean, little. you spend more time with them, okay. so there's not, I don't know. It it didn't seem obvious.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly, I feel like if you look at the, like the 1982 movie, the characters are definitely better developed than in the story. Because mm. you, 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 get, you get the sense of a couple of the characters, not everybody, but, mm-hmm. but a couple of them at least. The Wilford Brimley, <laughs> breaking <laughs> all the computers. <laughs> that was Wilford Brimley, wasn't it? It was. Okay.
2: So yeah, that, 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 that was a big thing that I <laughs> I really thought you'd read it and that we would be talking about this. So <laughs> when, when I asked if you had read it, you just assumed that I already had?
0: Usually usually read and watch things before we get to it.
2: And before I get yeah. to it even.
0: Uh, I don't know about that. You, <laughs> with, with our history, um, which we talked about when we recorded our episode on Double Star, um, I'm very good at acquiring books, not quite so efficient at actually reading them. Uh-huh. So my to-be-read list, Grows ever onward. Anything else that was on your list? of Burning topics to talk about? Do you have any burning that you need to talk to a doctor about? That's
1: what
2: she said. <laughs> no, no. Okay. T- take take uh, take this next part with a grain of salt. Okay. I know you, Seth, mm-hmm. have reached out a number of times to John W. Betancourt. Yes. To try and get him on our podcast to talk about you know how it was found. When I mean, that actually comes out in the book, it says you know hmm. there was. Papers of uh, John W. Campbell Jr.'s. It was sent to New York. I did start reading it. I yeah. did start
0: reading the introduction.
2: And so it's a, it's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And then they began to catalog it and realize, oh my God, this is this is it. Mm-hmm. This is the original that and no one has ever it. seen it's or found. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> This is the thing. <laughs> the thing that makes it go.
0: Right. <laughs> we look for things. Yes. Pack lids. You gotta love them. Oh.
2: And the book also has a sequel. Really? Yeah. Written by, I believe, John W. Betancourt. Let me, let me double check that real quick. So, uh, no, I was wrong. It's three chapter lead in to the last five chapters. That's that's what Frozen Hell adds. Three, not five. I had inverted it. Yeah, but yeah, if you look here at page 107, it's preview of the sequel.
0: Hmm. Did you start reading it? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Mr. Betancourt, we would love to have you on the podcast to talk about this. To, I mean, I don't know that anybody could settle in my mind what I think about what the true story is, because I have definite death of the author feelings about this. Sure. Where I don't know though. Um, You know, the story exists in the form that it was published. And to me, that means something. Whereas if there was stuff that was let on, left on the cutting room floor that didn't end up getting put in there. I mean, it kind of goes back to like, do you like to watch director's cuts, right? Or deleted scenes or deleted scenes? Yeah. Um, because, when you see a movie, for instance, you see the production company's version of that movie, not necessarily the director's vision. And so who who does the story come from? And that's that's where you get into the – there's, what, three different adaptations of it? There's the adaptation to screenplay. Right. There's what gets shot and what gets edited. Right. And those are those are very different things. And it, in a story, you do have some of that where, you know, it starts off being this and it ends up being this. Which is the true story? Is it the one that got published or is it the one that – the original vision of the author. Sometimes the original vision, like I was talking about with um, To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. evolves as it goes, right? Or you gave me that book um, that I did read. from <laughs> That one book. <laughs> uh, Who's it from? Tobias Buckell? Um, oh, I bought you a book. Yeah. What was it called? It was about how to write books. Nascence. Okay. Um, yeah, Nascence. It was about the process of writing a story. And so it included at least six or seven versions of the same story as, it, as he moved it towards what became the final story. And when you compare the final one to the original one, uh-huh. there was very little in common. Wow. There's some broad strokes, but there's major character differences. It was really, really interesting. And it's very much about kind of what we're talking about here. Because obviously, when he wrote that original story, he would have loved for somebody to say, Yes, I like it. We'll print it just like that. Mm. Instead, it went through major revisions every time because somebody wanted something different, and so it's a it's a collaboration. And I, gu- I guess that's where where I come down. Right? Mm-hmm. Who goes there is a collaboration between John W. Campbell and whoever published it. Right? Frozen Hell is something different. It's a collaboration between John W. Campbell's estate and John W. Bencourt. Right. Well, assuming that they did anything to it other than take the original source material and just... Right. Right. And the collaboration was, let's print that. Yeah. Well, I'll, I mean, I haven't read it yet, so I won't I won't judge it until I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. And we, we will circle back to it if we ever see that adaptation. And if not, then, you know, we still need to redo the thing. <laughs> I had actually planned on going back and rewatching some of the movies. Oh, yeah? Um, but I didn't... Didn't do it, so. To get ready for this. To get ready for this, yeah. But I found that preparation is unnecessary. Right, James? Meh. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of us uh, (laughs) talking to each other. James, I'm sorry you couldn't be here. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever see that uh, Joaquin Phoenix was doing some kind of weird thing where he was playing a character in real life, and he went on Letterman at some point, and he was just a complete blank slate, you know, monosyllabic responses to everything. And at the end of the segment, David Letterman turned to him and said, Joaquin, I'm sorry you couldn't be here today. (laughs) Which I thought was great. So that's (laughs) what I was saying to James.
2: Yeah, because he had like a full beard, mustache, sunglasses, sunglasses. hat. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah.
0: Anything else? Make it. We'll watch it. Yes, we will. And you know, I was telling Colin, uh, there, there was a thing on Twitter that was about book-to-movie adaptations and what you want to see, and my th- the answer that I chose was just a good movie. Mm. And I don't really care about how much it adapts. In this case, I'm a little more attached to, we already have three examples of this adaptation. I'd like to see something somewhat different, so it's not just regurgitating any of those others. Because I, this is the thing, right? I, I don't feel like I need a remake of 1982, The Thing. It's a good movie. And good movies don't necessarily need readaptations. But I also understand that movie will continue to exist even if they readapt it. True. Yeah. They're not ruining it. They're just making a new movie. The, new, the old movie still exists, the book still exists. All right. Well, I'm going to edit this together <laughs> despite the fact that we got almost nothing from James. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm not sure. I agree.
0: And probably uh, too much from us. Probably too much from us. But, you know, whatever. Have a good sabbatical. See you, man. Yeah. Ciao. All right. Uh, we out of here? Yeah. You want to bless us? Uh, yeah. I think we go traditional. I, I've I've come to an epiphany that there's sometimes I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to come up with a good blessing. And when that happens, I just need to go classic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll eventually have uh, James back from sabbatical. And we will get to recording some new stuff. It's definitely not the first time that James has left the room um, while we've been podcasting. No. I mean... You want to go see if he fell in? Well, <laughs> this is one thing you need to know, people, about James and podcasting on Skype, is he always turns his light off in his room, <laughs> so the screen's always blank. So we never know if he's actually there unless he says something. And now he's being very quiet, so it's mysterious. But he's a mysterious man. You want to bless us? Right. I guess now I want to bless <laughs> us. <laughs> okay. You wind me up and I start going and rambling about about how come James isn't talking and... It's so mysterious, but um yeah, all right. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you want to get a hold of us, you can go up to pavementpodcast.com and fill out the contact form. You can email us feedback at pavementpodcast.com or you can follow us on Twitter and send us a message that way at Pavement Podcast. And if you would like to support the work that we do here and the work that I do on my other podcasts, you can go to patreon.com slash Hugo's podcast and join the many, many several people that have already signed up. Um to support us. And, uh, you know, that's nice. It lets us occasionally upgrade some equipment. Yeah. It let me recently buy buy a little uh, thing that really helped with our remote protocol. So, yeah, we're, we're using it right now. We are. We're using part of it right now. Yes. So, and I guess that'll about do it. So, uh, yeah. Bye. May the road rise up to meet you. Oh, did I not do it? And may the ebook battery never go flat. <laughs> did I not do it? No! <laughs> do it now! All right. <laughs> <laughs> James, you should have jumped in there.
1: <laughs> That's what she said.
0: <laughs> oh, there he is. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, so. <laughs> you can th- drop all that. Right. I-, I will. <laughs> I think we can all get behind the notion that practical look of. Uh, uh, Jim Carrey is standing off stage diddling me. Uh <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so I think I'm going to release this episode on April Fool's Day. Why April Fool's Day, Seth? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't want to answer it, though. Oh, fine. Yeah, I want to leave it to the listener to
2: figure it out. Sound good? Sure. Or, or people could send in their ideas for what they think. You know, Why we chose this to be the April Fool's Day episode.
0: Yeah. I mean, in a sense, right, our April Fool's episodes are traditionally about us not really talking about a book that has been turned into a movie. And we spent a lot of time talking about a book that has not been turned into a movie yet. That's true. So that's one possibility. And I'm not going to tell you if it's the correct one. I guess by saying that, it makes it sound like it isn't. But I could be playing the long game here. You never know. This is almost like the thing. Are you really, Seth? Yeah, Is this really the April Fool's Day episode? Is it? Mm-hmm. Depends. I mean, I do have the power. I can post it whenever I want to. Yes, you do. I just yeah. have to edit it first. And it's going to be interesting editing this one. <laughs> Uh, right. I'm going to put that, this is blooper reel fodder that we're doing right now. We're going to have 15 minutes of blooper reel at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's going to be 15 minutes of discussion and like 45 minutes of blooper reel, but. <laughs> Could very well be. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Anywho.